0: Yahoo! announced a security breach affecting upwards of 1 billion user accounts. Cyber attack leaves 145 million eBay users at risk. Target announced up to 110 million customers may have had their identity and financial information compromised.
1: Cyber security breach at Equifax could
0: affect 143 million American consumers. And now your host, Nexus IT Group. We are back with another episode of Hacked into the Minds of Cybersecurity Leaders. Today, we are joined by an InfoSec veteran, Paul McGow. How are you doing, Paul?
1: I'm doing fantastic, Ben. How are you?
0: Doing great, doing great. Thanks for asking. So today, we're going to be chatting about the early days of information security, how hacking has evolved, the importance of certifications from a professional standpoint, and the theory behind QUIET. Quiet is Paul's company that he co-founded and is the CTO of currently. Their pitch is in the, the general vicinity of you know creating a product that's unbreakable from a communication standpoint, authentication and encryption. You there, but I'll let Paul discuss cool. the uh, you know product offering at quiet in greater detail. But a little background on Paul, he's been involved in information security and telecommunications since late 80s and a uh, founder of quiet and uh, you've actually been around for 21 years at this point. So let's get things kicked off learning a little bit more about your story, Paul, and how the profession has uh, you evolved since you initially you got you know, deep into it.
1: Sure. First of all, just to let you know, you know, I've I've got thirty five years of experience of doing all this stuff, and I'm and I'm only like twenty five. <laughs> <So>, no, I'm, <laughs> I'm in my I'm in my early sixties, and I started doing this. You're absolutely right. Uh, my first job was as a technology. Uh, underling for a uh, two-star general at a radar manufacturing plant um, here in the Washington D.C. area, and what we, they did is outdoor radar ranges. Uh, the radars were actually built in Texas, but they did all of the wiring, all the technology, all the RF, and everything. So I just got immersed immediately in the early '80s, and that's then when all those little PCs started appearing on everybody's desk, both at work and at home, and all that. You know, so so I'm I'm in the early days of of using all those things. I actually, in my early times, worked at American University where you used to have to fill out papers so that they could go and put them on a mainframe, you know, in the registrar's office and things, whatever. So, so I've been around since the beginning of all of these things. And, and shortly after being in that radar manufacturing plant or whatever, I was lucky enough to um, get security clearances. So from 1995 through 1995, I worked on secure communication technology projects for the government for all those three-letter agencies. And that was really my baptism in in large-scale uh, communication systems and in security and in how all of this worked, both from a physical standpoint, you know, from physical security, because, you know, the places we went and and how everything is um, handled from a physical perspective, and then taking that into then working on these actual communication projects. And, Ben, these are, as you well know, these are large DOD, you know, projects. I... I I was involved in about four different types with four different agencies. So I I really got a wide range of how exactly all this stuff worked. Then after that, I left to go out and I did both business and technology work over the next five years or so or whatever. And then I thought, you know, putting all this together, I said, I I think I have some ways that, that maybe, you know, sharing a secret and doing authentication, I had some ideas about how to do all that. And so Quiet was born. We've had four different iterations since 1997 and the current one is about two years old um, and we have a different kind of product suite that we're doing but um in all of that time i worked at aol um, i worked at csc i worked at saic which is now called Lidos, and all of those were in um, communications projects and in project management work so i got a wide range of how we use computers from a business perspective how we use them from a technology perspective what we need to keep secure, how they get attacked, what happens to stuff, the mistakes people make. So wide range of of perspective and a wide range of experience.
0: Yeah, fantastic. I'm so curious when you started getting involved in the profession, what was it like?
1: (laughs) <laughs> that's that's interesting or whatever. Um, back in in the in those days, as, as you know, if you've read uh, Singh's uh, code book, you you know that there was kind of a schism between you know um, the what the government did and what the NSA does and all of those things for how they look at code work and how they share secrets and then the envir- environment from the edu perspective, the work that was done on the, in the public vein. So it was really interesting to be reading about all the things that people are doing in the 80s. And that's when the, you know, the guys in the late 70s started the, I call them the luminaries. You know, they started all the public key technology methods, but it took a while. They had them, but, but because the chipsets and the things weren't, um, very, it, as I remember reading about RSA, it took them about four years to get that thing to fit on a chip because as we were learning about technology, of course, Ben, everything was getting smaller and faster so you could finally make headway with this. But I was on the at the same time as I'm reading about the public perspective, I'm in there watching things happen <laughs> on the on the government side. So it was very interesting. But as anybody who knows who who's kind of involved in encryption at all, the stream cipher world is the three letter agencies and the government, and the block ciphers are in the public domain. You know the AESs of the world, the DES, you know the beginning of that, and then AES. So there's really two different ways to kind of look at things. And they, they have two different perspectives for how they're used. Okay? They have different properties and they have different um, models for their use. And so it was, it was very interesting in the early days to, to hear and read about what was happening and then watch what was actually being done on the government side. I can't tell you very much, but, but <laughs> I can tell you that it, was, that it was different.
0: Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, so how did you get experience in it? Was it just hopping in and and getting your hands on, or did they have yeah. any sort of training?
1: No, there's it wasn't training. And and the way I did it is I I was on the project management side, so we we'd just go meet with all these people to find out what they're doing and how they're putting things together. And we would get the big picture stuff because in the project management, you're you're building all these schedules and you're doing all this workload and you're going and meeting all the people that are doing all the work. So. So the way I got involved in it is is the same way. It's basically an apprenticeship, Ben. When now, now today you can get, and we'll do it. Talk about. Of course, today you can get you know cybersecurity degrees. You can get certifications, etc. In in those days, the same with computer science, right? You know, the the way you did things was just you apprenticed. So you met people, and then they would offer you a position, and then you would move from this side to that side. You know, that's how people go from HR to becoming you know on the technology side. Same thing, you know, all of that. So. That's how I got involved in it. I actually then started on the project management side and actually got birthed by working in the technology groups doing some of those things.
0: Sure. So it doesn't sound like you were initially attracted to computers in the first place, or is that not true?
1: Oh no! I definitely was attracted to technology. Um, one of the things that I, I realized early on, Ben, is that this—you know—these computers popping up around on people's desks and things, whatever. This is the future. Okay, so sure. so to get to where I am today or whatever is the folks that are my age and my—you know—that mm-hmm. uh, were in in this area or whatever. They they knew the technology was the place to be. So no, I was I definitely wanted to be on the technology side.
0: Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. So in a short sentence, don't want to just pigeonhole to one word that might be too challenging, but in a short sentence, what is the biggest difference between when you first got involved in information security to today's information security environment?
1: The knowledge base I can say it in two words, the, the understanding of how things work Today is much deeper, broader um, there's a great a set of information in the public domain there's a lot of great resources whatever and then it was you had to go talk to people. There was a lot of close hold as anybody who knows who's worked working in computers or whatever, and sometimes you have to work with the the systems people you know who come up and and you you, you did something and you suddenly can't access yourself and you say all I did was or whatever. well, that was the entire way that you learned back then today, the knowledge base for you to be able to pick up and understand and get immersed in the technology is the knowledge base. There's just a much wider range of information available for you to get smart on it, for you to learn about it, for you to apply it.
0: You know, it's funny that you say that. That's you know, fantastic. It's great that we are building that knowledge base. But I feel like the knowledge transfer, especially post breach, is still lacking so much. I guess what's your thoughts there?
1: Okay, here's here's the thing, Ben. So, uh, you know, people are listening to this and they're saying, wow, this guy's been around a long time. Well, that makes you a veteran. Okay? It doesn't make you an expert. It just makes you a veteran. The way you become an expert and the way you just exactly what you just asked is you say, yeah, there's a lot of knowledge out there or whatever, but spewing it or stating it isn't, <laughs> isn't the answer and it isn't how you apply it. So so just because you know that something worked this way and that it may be attacked this way and this is maybe what happened is you got to get down in there and apply it you got to look at the real differences the real things one of the projects that I did on my technology side working with my group and, and a couple other groups is way back is remember the old nextel um Uh, phones, they had the little uh, walkie-talkie thing on the side, you know, where you press the button and it did walkie-talkie connection, right? You know, and then they became Sprint and whatever. Um, They they used to have to go from pots, plain old telephone service, wires, copper wires, or whatever, to um, digital switches, optical switches. And you only had 250 milliseconds to get across the switch. And most of the technology that people were, like you said, you know, they would just spew and say, well, we'll do this. And we say, well, if you actually get in there and apply it you find out that some of this stuff takes longer than 250 milliseconds what what do we do now we can't get across the switch so the i agree with you that that while i state that there's a lot of knowledge out there and a lot of places to go get that knowledge just being able to spout it or whatever doesn't make it the, the, the thing that makes you an expert the thing that makes you valuable the thing that can you can you can you know rise in the ranks and you can take to, to your future is being able to apply that knowledge to the specifics and situations that you're in. From a present perspective and for the future. Being able to put it up on the board and say, this is why we should do this, because of these things or whatever, not just because this is how you do it, but this is if we apply what we know about it, we can get to this. So it's good for present and it's the best planning tool for the future. Well having
0: seen the evolution of the profession and gaining that knowledge, applying it effectively. When you hear the word hacker, what does that mean to you?
1: Well, first of all, I've been—I golf. So the first time I've been playing golf all my life, hackers is on the golf course again. So <laughs> the first thing—the the first thing that started to happen with all these, like the computers on the desk and all those things, early, early days or whatever—was they were mistakes okay they were, you know what I mean there was people just made mistakes there was shoulder surfing you know there was all these different ways that you know um social engineer you know hacking happened more often than technology hacking okay? so it was more mistake oriented and it and it involved a much more social environment so you you know if you wanted to steal those records you you went to the place where the big computers were and you could get the papers that had it and you could steal the tapes and you could get your floppies and things so there was Hacking then was more, uh, you know, social slash physical, as opposed to, you know, today's environment where you can just get rootkits and, you know, malware and just send things off from your, you know, from your bedroom, you know, at two o'clock in the morning. So the evolution of hacking has gone well. A, the the amount of it is just staggering. Okay, and and that's it hand goes hand in hand with value. The value of all the things that we started to place on all these networks or whatever; those really took off after the you know the year 2000, okay. When the web really, after that first tech bubble, and people really started to use the internet and try to put sales data on there and company data on there and get everything on the web, you know, that's when hacking became a more technical-oriented thing. So the the, the wide range of hacking is it used to be more social engineering and you know physical as opposed to all the the current technology ways that people get in. That's the quick overview of it.
0: Now, putting yourself in the hacker's shoes, how has that role changed? And and I guess I'm leaning towards how can you make a profession out of being a hacker at this day and age versus how you did back then in the pre-tech bubble?
1: Ben, the best way that I would be able to describe it is back then it was smash and grab jobs. You know, you can imagine that you're going to go, steal stuff from a jewelry store by smash and grab, right? You go in there, and you beat the cabinet, and you grab some stuff. So the original thing was just to see if you could do it. Just could you get in there, and when you got in there, what what was there? What can I take? And, of course, that was limited. Um, today, the biggest word to use about hacking is it's organized, Ben. It's the same as in you've read this and heard this already. Previous nothing new. You've read and heard that you know. The mafia type of mentality of, you know, booze and cigarettes and all the things and ways that they can make money on vices and the way, you know, people's vulnerabilities are. Well, now one of them is organized hacking. There's a lot of money sitting in cyber exchanges and, you know, crypto exchanges. There's a lot of money sitting in, in uh, records. I just read an article yesterday where they put out the summary of the actual numbers of the Equifax, you know, stealing. And Ben, that's organized that's um a- the access is long term it's planned um it isn't smash and grab okay so before previously hacking was just get there get what you can whatever now today it's planned and planning then takes organization it takes peripheral people um i've had my identity stolen and the way it was was done um involved a group of people it, it wasn't just a single person you know that i left my credit card on the counter and somebody took my ID. It was the the methodology for these things now takes organization and they spread the wealth. You know, there are people who make money at the low, you know, it's a, it's a pyramid Ben. So there's people that make money across the bottom just by doing, just kind of stretching their responsibilities or, or allowing access where they really shouldn't or whatever. You know, it's the, it's the same thing as your buddy would let you into the liquor store in the back door at night, you know, when you were, you know, in your twenties and, and that kind of thing. So so the organization of getting in there, then as you go up each one of those levels, of course, the value increases. And when there's big, it's not smash and grab and it's big jobs, it takes planning and execution. And then the rewards are, unfortunately, they're too valuable. They're too substantial. So until that changes, they're going to keep, you know, what, what's the number? Six trillion in cybercrime, Ben, from 2017 to 2021. That's the estimate. That's a yes. lot of money. So. So it isn't going to stop, okay? You know, it isn't going to change until we do something different about it. But.
0: Sure. Okay. Well, let's talk about that. You know, what is our number one opportunity to capitalize on to make hackers' jobs more challenging?
1: Then that's a that's a really good question, and and uh, answer is if the simple, quick answer is we need to simplify. We need to take the number of things that are happening. And lessen them, not expand them. We need to lessen them because then, just if there's a lot more doors in your house for people to break into, then that's a problem. So we need to go down. And um, as a segue into the um, into the certifications and the things that people get from the security, the CISSP has ten separate areas. It's got legal, it's got apps, and it has this area, that area of how you have to pr- protect these different things. But they all have an overriding vulnerability which is there's a too many things going on so the number one thing that we could do from a security technology development perspective is lower things for instance you you know your um, chip card you you got your chip card now and it takes the average is two and a half seconds inside there but when you swiped it then it used to take like you know a half a second or a quarter of a second right you know so we've made it two and a half times order of magnitude Longer, and we've made what happens back and forth between the reader, your card, and then the credit bureau, the things that we send or whatever, we've added steps. We didn't make them less, Ben, we made it more. So while we're trying to reduce fraud by tightening up and saying, "Hey, let's send unique credit card numbers, we need to try to do that in simpler ways and simpler steps, not going from four processes or four to six, like we used to do when you swiped a card to now we do somewhere between 10 and 13 things going on when you put your chip card in and it's all for a single purpose which is of course to make it more secure but if the way we're making it more secure is by making it more complex that's not the answer okay so then, now we need even more people then now now we don't need just you and I now we need a third person who's going to start looking at those other five you know you and I'm taking care of numbers 1 through 5 you're taking care of 6 through 10, and now, oh, my goodness, we need another person to take care of 11 through 15. So the single most important thing that we can do from a security perspective, and you can see this in these certifications, is we need to simplify all of those processes. We need to make them more uniform. We We need to make them more universal. We need some better methodologies for making things simpler and still meet the objective.
0: Sure. Yeah, it's, it's, it's funny. As you're explaining that, I'm visualizing old cartoons where there's a, a leak in the dam and you put your finger in the hole and then you got to put your mouth in the hole. And it's just like, let's put all these products, let's put all these solutions on these little holes when we just need to break it down and build a new wall.
1: Right. I'm with you. That's my perspective coming from a long time ago and how we've gotten to here. Um, You know, I hear these companies, I hear like Microsoft is spending a billion dollars a year on security, but we're losing uh Ben six trillion, okay? So for every billion they spend, we lose another two trillion, you know? Mm-hmm. So we we we've got we you know, the Einstein told us, our buddy Einstein said you can't keep doing the same things expect different results. So what we need to do is look at these times We need to kind of dial back to the priority of what we're trying to do. You know, what are we trying to do? Ben, what are you and I trying to do instead of just you know, making solutions on top of solutions. That's that's mm-hmm. really key, I think, is, you know, let's go yeah. back to the basic, the basis of what we're trying to provide and see what we can do. Start over, build a new wall.
0: Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we're dancing around it. Let's dive into it. In your eyes, what do you think the role of certifications are in today's job market?
1: The wide range of them is both good, so that we're covering lots of things, but it also makes it a little... Convoluted, you know. You say, "Well, what, what exactly can you do?" You know what I mean, as opposed to what you know. So, you and I have a company. We'll, we'll take it from this perspective. You and I have a company, and we know we need to secure our stuff. We want to operate on the web. We want to do this. We want to have some back-end networks. You know, that we're processing our data, doing this, et cetera. You know, we maybe want to use a cloud. We want, et cetera. So, we, you know, you and I say, "Well, this is this is what we want to do." You and I probably aren't knowledgeable enough to be sure of exactly what we need. So if we just put an ad in the paper and say, well, we need somebody who's got this certification, you know, we might only be getting 75% of our problems solved or not solved, but aware of, you know, because the certifications have become so narrow. So I think certifications are great. They're necessary. They give the, the folks that get them that knowledge base, but there's not, um, where do you get the application? You know, where do you get that in the trenches stuff to find out, you know, this is what happened. You know, whether you're going to become an expert in the recovery side or whether you're going to become an expert in the pr- protection side for your certifications or whatever, you know, you you need to have been um, exposed to all of them. So so if I'm looking for somebody who's got initials after their name and I say, okay, that's just the starting point then. So then what what experience do you have? Where have you applied it? Tell me some Answers about how this network operated, and that, been tell me about something that happened. So, so I'd like to see, I'd like to see these um, certifications. I think they're great, but I'd like to see um, a little bit more application and not specific knowledge points. Because then we just talked about we need to fix a new wall. Okay, so if you're if you're becoming an expert in how to stick your two fingers in there and your elbow and your whatever, you you know what will you think? when a new wall's put up. So I'd like to see more application-oriented training evolve as well.
0: Sure, okay. Would you say that application or in-the-trench experience is more valuable or less valuable than acquiring a challenging certification?
1: Um, I think it's more valuable. You know, my perspective is coming from that environment. Okay, so I'm, you know, everybody has their biases, Ben. You know, so I bring that, you know, that bias into it to say, hey, I, I, I want some more people in the trenches. It's the same, Ben, as hiring an MBA right out, right out of school. You know what I mean? You, and the first time you put your um your grade point average on your resume, right? After your first and second job, your grade point average doesn't make any difference anymore, right? It's about mm-hmm. what you've done, you know, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I'd like to see, um, I, I I personally would like to see a little bit more on the application side if somebody's standing in front of me as opposed to just all the initials.
0: Sure. Yeah, you know, it's it's funny. I, I think as early as, what, five years ago, you know, IT was one of the unique professions where, in education or certification background didn't hold as much weight. It's, it's almost like, hey, if you can do this, you know, we don't necessarily care. You have six-figure employees that don't have bachelor's degrees because they know how to code really darn well. And it seems like in the security profession, we've got away from that a little bit, at least from a hiring standpoint. When we throw, you know, must have CISSP, all of a sudden this pool of candidates that has all this fantastic experience and maybe our guy that's going to accomplish your goal is, you're know, not CISSP certified, but has all the experience and hands-on knowledge that you need to actually do the role, but we're looking for this certification just seems like we've kind of gone away from what made technology so appealing to such unique folks that have a way of thinking that is unique from the the rest of us.
1: Correct. I agree. I agree with you 100%. You know, there's a, like I just mentioned to you, I play golf, you know, golf as a sport to people that don't really know it. They think it's kind of, you know, the country club, elitist, et cetera, you know, and that's exactly what's happening with these I have this on my resume. I've got all these initials, and I've got this certification. So that meets the box, and then I'm in. As I told you when I started this, I had security clearances, right? Um, there are people that get jobs, uh, Ben, today just because they have security clearances. because it takes so much longer to do get than when I did. I did six weeks in the mid-80s. Today it takes six months to do a year you know, to get a uh, Security clearance at different levels, so you can just have one and just get in there, and that definitely is hurting the business. Um, My brother works at Mitre, which is the the public company that got split in two. You know, doing a lot of the government DOD stuff, and he still has clearances and those things. And he he and I were talking about exactly that a month or two ago at a a lunch we get together all the time. We were talking about exactly that. He was saying that he's working on this project, and they are putting out you know calls for for folks to come in and do this. It's a data center, I can tell you that, and. he he's you know, they're worried that the they're just gonna get people that just have this limited experience but that have all the right initials. So it's up to the executives, it's up to the HR people, it's up to technology as a whole to do exactly what you just said is to be able to broaden this call for something, say, you know, these would be great, okay, if you have this, you know, these initials, if you have this certification, I think it's wonderful, but tell me about your experience too. So it's up to You and I who are going to go hire people, it's up to HR, it's up to technology leadership, it's up to CEOs and CTOs and COOs and all the way down senior levels, all the way down through management to be able to say, no, we we need to make the call for these folks to include those certifications, but not to make them exclusive because then you're losing this wide range of candidates who may well have exactly what we need.
0: Sure. Sure. I guess, would you be a proponent of hiring based on like an exam or test results of a simulation or a war gaming or a capture the flag versus, you know, hiring based on a classic interview? You know, you have CISSP check, check the box kind of, you know, scenario.
1: Um, You know, it's a pendulum. You know, we've swung, like you said, we've swung too far the other way. So now we're going to get tests and we're going to, you know, so the, the folks that test well, okay, and under the gun for those kinds of activities or whatever, but is that what the job needs? You know what I mean? You know, if you're doing recovery or whatever, the first 24 to 48 hours to two weeks matters, whatever. But then after that, you get to sit with the data and we get to try to figure things out, you know. So so there's no push, you know. There's no big, you know. So testing won't bring out the person who's best at that, okay, doing deep research and, and taking a look at, you know, access logs and things then to find out how did somebody get onto this network, you know. So... I, I, you know, the pendulum has swung all the way to, you know, exclusivity or whatever. It needs to swing back kind of to the, to the middle and, and balance those two things out. That's right. I, and, I, and I think testing is great, but it should just be a part of it. You know what I mean? Um, sure. Uh, the the way the way people do interviews now is everybody fires questions, fire a question at you or whatever and say, so what would you do with this? And what would you do? You know, and all those what ifing is fantastic or whatever. But if your group isn't a what if group. What are you? What are you looking for? Candidates that are what if? You know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, yeah. you know I, I, I'm sure you have too. You've applied for a job, and they're asking you questions, and you go, "What the heck does that have to do with this job?" You know. Sure. So I'm I I love all those things, but I you would want to make sure as a technology leader that those things are only being asked for of the candidates that will actually do that kind of work.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, and mm-hmm.
1: that's a, that's important
0: yeah yeah absolutely. You know I, I've seen an interesting change where you know, some companies that I, I will agree are making positive changes in the hiring process of security professionals, getting more people involved and identifying talent that might not have the you know resume or the you know degrees and certifications, but do have the core skills that they're looking for. I've seen them just posting general, hey, if you can solve this problem, we will interview you. So it's basically a test, you know, to some degree, if you can solve it, you get yourself, you know, an interview or a job or, or whatever, which I thought was interesting, but also brings up some different challenges as well. So I was just curious on, on your thoughts there. You know, I, I do want to learn more about your company and, and your solutions. So you know, give us your your pitch and, and you know, what problems are you solving with the solutions that you've developed at QUIET?
1: The main problem we're solving is the one that I brought up before is that we're going from three processes to eight processes to 12, and it should be going from three to one. Okay, So our entire technology base, all the way from the primitives that we've built and have been using for the last 20 years in in applying our technology in different ways to how we're applying it now for um, our quiet talk security as a service. We believe that they're faster, quicker. That that the, that the things that matter that aren't being done, Ben, is we're not doing enough of the good stuff as often as we should, and we're doing some of the other stuff a little bit too long. Okay, so the the whole mix of the processes that we're using, we're using too many of them, so it's too complex, and there's too many more areas for people to get in, and so we're all about shortening those and and relying on performance, efficiency, flexibility, simplicity, et cetera. So our entire protocol is the QUIET protocol that we've built into several different products that we're, we're getting ready to stand up uh, shortly, is to offer security as a service so that apps can just connect and, and perform TLS security and they connect uniform, and they connect universally. So all the apps that are you know working this way, IoT, if that's what you're going to do, Ben, there's 22 different competing protocols that are being used on the IoT products around the world. And it's going to be trillion-dollar businesses, and, and yet we're stealing money out of casinos through fish tanks. And the reason is because we've got 22 protocols, and we've got devices that have barely any power, that have barely any room to put things on. So QUIET is all about trying to make sure that we can go from that small, tiny little device all the way on the edge, end-to-end secure, and end-to-end authentication. We don't do enough authentication. QUIET is all about that. In every single communication that goes back and forth in the QUIET talk system and in the QUIET protocol, Ben, we do authentication, And we do encryption in every single step. And we do them fast enough to be able to do them all the time. As I tell people all the time, the old, uh, you know, several old movies or whatever, and, of course, the criminal's smiling at the beginning of the movie, and then he kills everybody, and you're like, well, if you had authenticated the person all the way through, you would have said, hey, they're getting out of gun, you know. And and TLS, the new version of TLS, Ben, version 1.3, is actually trying to do authentication even less often than we do it once per session now. So we're trying to have long-lived sessions, and it's called Zero All Round Trips, Zero RTT. And um, it's actually degrading how many times we do authentication in order to improve the performance. That's not the answer. So QUIET offers being able to do authentication and encryption in every transmission. So we're going the other way, Ben. So the, the key, if anybody wants to come to our website and take a look at the technology that we offer and how we're building it is, we're trying to go the other way. We're trying to lessen the number of processes. And we're trying to, in those processes, do more, but do them faster, more efficient, so that we can continue to do them in the future. So that we won't get, we won't get overrun just like TLS has been overrun by the ways we use it now. So they're trying to speed it up and degrade it. So that's the, that's the simple answer for quieting.
0: Well, that definitely sounds great. so who who do you think is an ideal candidate or an ideal individual company that would be that would see significant benefit from your solutions?
1: We have two types of company that we're looking for. one we we need some help. In being able to stand up security as a service as, as you can tell if you're going to have a universal uniform way where this is a service that needs to operate for lots of different devices for lots of different communications for lots of different connections all the time so so we need partners who are who want to work with us for standing up the service from a you know wide-ranging global perspective then underneath that and any company that's working on something any one of the areas that we're we're focused in we have a uh, uh, a vision for quiet phone, which is cellular security, as you know, Ben. Um, we've got uh, VoIP. You know, we've got WhatsApp and working on VoIP uh, technology for security, and that's that's fine or whatever. But cellular is just still sitting there the same way it has for 20 years. We're using you know Kasami and and a couple of other different encryption algorithms. They're all and they're all broken. So cellular communications. You know, anybody who's into that, anybody who wants to talk about quiet IoT. We're the ones who want to go from end to end, including all of those small devices. So any company that's interested in IoT, those are our two first focuses, the cellular and IoT.
0: All right, fantastic. Well, anybody that's interested, where can they find you?
1: Uh, Quiet.com. And then quiet is spelled Q-W-Y-I-T.com.
0: Fantastic. Well, let's hop into overrated underrated. Got a couple here for you and then we'll let you go. Really appreciate your insight. Thus far, excited to hear what you think about some of my overrated underrated thoughts here. So, let's kick things okay. off with Black Hats moving into enterprise positions. Is that overrated or is that underrated? Overrated. Overrated. Any any reason why? I guess I'm I'm curious.
1: Um original original um, aspect of Black Hat is, you know, from a hacker perspective or whatever, um, I, I think solutions for enterprise security need a wider breadth than that. So that's sure. just a quick
0: answer. Sure. All right. Yeah, no, that makes a ton of sense. Next one, yeah. the use of artificial intelligence in security products, overrated or underrated? Oh,
1: well, I, unfortunately, I think there's going to be a lot of... Uh, uh, application in that area but I think it's way underrated right? and and if you want the quick answer to that the quick answer to that um, Ben is that AI is great with um, massaging lots of different data in in very short order to get to places but when you're trying to use less processes instead of more processes the amount of data and the places where those mistakes and things will happen will be a lot smaller so the, you know, relying and saying, let's leave everything like it is so that we create these massive amounts of data that we now need AI help to go through. Why don't we make sure that the intrusion detection is tighter so that the data that we have to look at is actually smaller? So okay. I'm not a big fan of AI and in security.
0: Okay, okay. Gotcha, gotcha. Next one, last one, security conferences. Are those overrated or underrated. Uh Pending them and value you know, that you receive from them,
1: um, th- then they they'd probably be overrated. Um, and, and I've been that's just my personal experience from any kind of conferences that you go to. You know, you go and you get fired up that you're going to learn this and do that, and then the ways that you interact with the company are probably not any any m- much different than you can interact with them. Without going to the conferences, so um, sure. and you can get their attention in different ways. So, so I think sometimes I think some conferences are overrated, but I wouldn't say that for all. I was going to try to say in the middle, but you want me to go one way or the other. So <laughs> I'll go with overrated.
0: <laughs> okay, fair enough. We'll we'll let you uh, let you off with that one. But hey, Paul, huh. really appreciate it. Thanks so much. It's been fantastic learning from your background, your experiences, and you knowing that you've been in all sorts of different capacities and seen the profession grow. Um, you're really excited about your product. I think that uh, some really good things there, some people could get significant benefit out of. So make sure you check out Quiet, Q-W-Y-I-T. Check out the products. Message Paul, he's on LinkedIn. You know, do appreciate it. Thanks a lot.
1: Dan, thank you for having me. I, I enjoyed it. Thank you. We want to thank everyone for listening to today's podcast brought to you by Nexus IT Group. If you're looking for a new career challenge, let's chat. If you're looking to hire new talent, reach out. Or if you just want to talk about cybersecurity, email us at info at Nexus Until next time, stay safe and stay secure.